Welcome to Machine Learning. Okay, I want to talk about chaos. Why is chaos theory important? A chaos theory is important to an audience because it can use be used to measure the uncertainty of a system B. Chaos uh, theory is important to the audience because it can be used to predict the future of a system. Chaos theory is important to the audience because it can be used to predict how a system reacts to a problem. Chaos theory is important to the audience because it can be used to understand the behavior of a system. It's important because it can express the behavior of a system mathematically. Okay, so those are the kind of the high levels. In a book uh, I read called Strategic Thinking on the uh, uh, Strategic Thinking and New Science, it uh, talked about the importance of strange attractors. Uh, the, one of the things of uh, chaos theory is that things in the complex systems are not necessarily random, even though you would say that that maybe the weather is unpredictable or uh, particle movement is not predictable. They're finding that there is some predictability using deep learning to find patterns within chaotic systems. And so you have these uh, elements called strange attractors in chaos theory that seem to have shape or form and some level of predictability. Okay, so let's get into this. Strategic thinking has two major components, insight about the present and foresight about the future. So chaos theory, one of the important things about that is if inside a very complex multivariable system, if you can get insight into the future, you can make predictions about the future. Um, what we thought would change almost never did, yet change was constant and often unexpected. And that that's also very true in business. Would we imagine that we would be in super high inflation right now? Would we imagine that the dollar would be in demise? Would we imagine that um, oil prices would be over $114 a barrel? Uh, would we imagine that the political system would become so unstable? That would have been hard to predict 10 years ago under Trump. It looked like things were getting better. The economy was improving. Our relationships with China were getting stronger. They were starting to show us more respect. Um, predictions on peace were very strong with world hegemony, uh, st stating that we were in the golden age of peace and prosperity. So this idea that uh, we would be in a crisis now with uh, Russia fighting against Ukraine, it was predictable because of the political angling and objectives by Putin to restore the Russian Empire, but yet it would be um, contrary to the shortness or trends in empires, because empires had been getting shorter and shorter, and oppression was getting smaller because the world was becoming more uh, dem de uh, democratized and people, individual power was increasing, and so uh, tyranny was uh, even though it did exist in the world, it was shorter. So those things would, even though 
so that statement in the world of sameness, meaning that everything kind of is starting to, to look the same. People are walking around with iPhones, um, lots of information. You go all over the world. There's a lot of sameness in the, in the groups, um, but yet there is the possibility of change. And so that possibility of change is what I, I want to talk about. Now, one way to look at history is a collection of campfires of thought, dotting social, culture, and political fields of time. Okay, so what that statement is is um, that you have different culture, uh, different camps of thought, dotting the social culture, and so the, it's basically saying that there was this ecosystem, and we call that ecosystem history. And by understanding those collections of thought, we can kind of understand the behavior within the system, and and that might be this, these strange attractors inside of our civilization that we can start to migrate towards. Uh, as as the world now is starting to look very same or homogenous, we can look for these little campfires of, of thought that are different and then start to understand how the, that thought pattern is creating uh, uh, strange attractors. By listening to the historical voices, we can learn how we gained our preferences for linear, mechanicanistic, uh, mechanistic thinking and assumptions upon which we live and begin to understand the limitations of worldview. Okay, so what that statement is, again, just as I stated, is, you know, let's let's look to uh, historical voices and uh, gain our, to understand why we gained our preferences for uh, the way we think. Myth accounts for the mundane as well as the extraordinary giving form to the formless. Okay, so, you know, what was a, what is a myth? It's an attempt to explain something that's extraordinary um, because we have to have a frame of reference to understand the data. So we have to come up with the model. And when the model is fantastic or not necessarily... Um, well understood, it's often called myth. And science often called myth because it's not well understood. Today, philosophy and science represent the cultivation of knowledge through reasoning, experimentation, critique, and proof. The hypothesis, form a hypothesis, um, gather your data, check your p-values, see if things are correlating, and then um, uh, disprove the null hypothesis, and that gives you a confidence that, that that hypothesis is true. The Greeks believed that all things worked or changed according to their basic natures. The result of philosophy and science eliminate myth as a probable because of natural phenomena. Well, I mean, what they were doing is they were uh, mechanizing thought. And so they, the way you mechanize thought is um, make things concrete and discrete. And the language that the Greeks used was mathematics. So they began to observe phen phenomena and explain it in the terms of mathematics, and that formed uh, a form of philosophy called physics. The Greeks developed a formal system of scientific inquiry. Plato envisioned two realms, a superior, changeless, realm of ideas and forms 
ever-changing material world. Yeah, Plato's reasoning um, was based on a changing world, more empirical, where as Socrates was more a priori, theoretical, build the model, use the model to explain the reality, whereas Plato was more empirical, um, learn from the data, and then draw deductive conclusions from the data. The world we see and experience through our senses is but a shadow of true reality. The senses were in opposition to reality. Yeah, you can kind of see that with mathematics, uh, different forms of uh, probabilistic mathematics, um, odds, combinatorial mathematics, is that sometimes our assumptions of what reality are move against what the mathematical probabilities are. And so we make bad decisions because we don't think mathematically. So we're always in opposition to reality. And that's kind of the bridge that machine learning and AI is providing is it's more along the Plato line of taking data and using probability and likelihood and odds to make decisions. Plato believed various non-interfering gods ensured stability and order in the universe. Now Aristotle was interesting because he's more of a divine thinker that there are abstraction, their uh, reliance on abstraction, uh, deeper insight, the creativity, innovative portion of the mind that goes beyond just data and looking at data to find truth. It looks at abstraction and through abstraction begins to build systems that way. And those those type of things are new frameworks or new ways of looking at the universe. Aristotle believed form and matter were inseparable. Quantities do not exist without matter. Matter is differentiated by its quantities. There you go. See that you can kind of spill this abstraction or the theoretical explanations. So, you know, you might say things like quark theory would be an uh, example of Aristotle-like thinking. Uh, string theory, possibly, maybe even uh, uh, the mechanized forces of nature. Aristotle believed the universe was eternal, no beginning and no end. He believed the earth was round in the center of the universe, and the sun, moon, stars, and planets revolved around it in perfect circular orbits. The celestial realm was made of perfect and unchanging fifth element called the aether, following unchangeable cycles. See, this this is perfect because this starts to introduce the idea of the electric universe, which is now becoming very popular, explaining the uh, how plasmas form in the universe and why the sun doesn't work on uh, nuclear fusion, but is working on electrical principles that form the uh, coronasphere and uh, provide electric current to the Earth, explaining things like tornadoes and aurora borealis and other electrical events that our Earth is um, 
known for. And the way that historically has been explained was that it's through some sort of dynamo in the earth that's creating a um, magnetic field that's generating electrical currents. And now we're, I'm saying that the new model is that the, earth, the universe has lots of electricity moving through the ether and creating the phenomena that we know. The Aristotle Ptolemaic cosmos was based more on conceptualizing than on observation and experimentation. So again, that's what I was saying is that the Aristotle is more theoretical, uh, observing, conceptualizing, thinking. And from its center in Rome, the Roman Church worked to resolve doctrinal disputes among local churches by developing a unified um, doctrine and discipline organization. The Roman Catholic faith assumed three roles, keeper of the faith, translator of important written works, and indoctrinator to the masses. Well, and, you know, we see the introduction and influence of this type of thinking in the Big Bang Theory. Um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and God said, let there be light. And taking that into context of Defender of Faith, they built and supported the theory of the Big Bang, this idea of a super symmetrical event under extreme uh, high temperatures or energies, and some breaking of that symmetry then causing the emergence from E equals MC squared, where energy was converted into matter, and then all the mass that we uh, experienced in the universe was created in that that uh, um, instant in in time. During the Dark Ages, 500 to 1000 AD, some uh, monotheistic traditions allowed an encouraging monk to continue annotating, transcribing, translating ancient scripts while at the same time building libraries. The libraries were safe havens for safe havens for works to survive. Learning began to spread from the monasteries into society during the Renaissance, 1000 to 1400 AD. During this time period, Latin and Greek texts were recovered primarily from Islamic texts used in, used in their universities. And it's actually amazing because uh, that translation then allowed the Greek methods or mathematics to be uh, translated into universities, and then the universities then were able to uh, teach students. And then the printing press allowed the, the replication of these documents. And so today we understand uh, trigonometry, algebra, calculus uh, was a form formed from the limits and theories of algebra and allowing us to do all the advanced mathematics that we have now that r run on our supercomputers and build virtual reality environments and also the AI environments. So um, it, th those were foundational pieces that uh, were very important and were translated and became available to modern civilization. So you could say that they saved us uh, they saved civilization through the ability to translate some of these documents that were recorded in the Islamic text. The Roman Church wanted to be viewed as the center of society and adopt the doctrine of the earth being the center of the universe. Yeah, and then we know about Galileo being put in 
house arrest because he said that the earth wasn't the center of the universe. The church institutionalized the earth center worldview to question the church was heresy. The Protestant Reformation spread across Europe in the 1500s and led to the French Revolution. The Protestant, um, the Protestant Reformation promoted freedom of religion and religious tolerance. The Inquisition was used to force conformity and uniformity through fear and power. Individuals engaged in any type of activity that threatened to undermine the church authority, including those exploring new scientific uh, ideas were subject to torture. And so you can see that, uh, you know, their desire was to prevent heresy, to prevent non-uniformity. Everything is to be the same. Everyone thinks the same. And in a way, then that created stability. And in, and in some ways, that's what China seems to want to do is maintain stability, uh, uniformity, and, uh, you know, any opposition to that would be met with uh, force by authority. But I think that things are, are changing in China. There's so much freedom now of thought, and they are, even though they are following the Plato, uh, Plato's method, I think Aristotle's form of thinking is starting to affect them. And, and so there's more theories or understanding more dynamics, they're still uh, learning to survive within a, a authoritative system, but they are able to uh, think and free think more, and there's this incredible amount of light that is in, starting to emerge because there's uh, new forms of thinking within that system, just like we st stated earlier on the historical form of thinking. And so that that, that is important. Uh, being monitored closely by the Chinese government, but there is still a lot of uh, new forms of thinking that are, are emerging. There exists a type of self-organizing pattern, shape, or structure that becomes obvious when the behavior of the system is seen as a whole. There is a hidden order beneath the disorder. That's chaos theory. The pattern arises because variables in the system are attracted to and attract with each other in a unique way. And that's what uh, the strange attractor is, is these pockets or spots of different thought are attracting and interacting in a way that's unique and transformative. And that's what I'm saying is happening in China. While it may not be possible to solve or predict the future of a nonlinear system, it is possible to provide quantitative description of its characteristics and behaviors as a whole. And perhaps that's what we call his history is, uh, the attempt to characterize pockets of thought as a whole and try to explain that behavior. Okay, so how does that work for businesses and a new form of strategic thinking? Let's talk. introduce chaos theory. Chaos theory is a type of mathematics used to explain complex behavior of nonlinear systems. Nonlinear meaning multivariant, uh, doesn't follow a uh, line-intercept, X, Y, and a slope, a rise over run algorithm, but it, it can be uh, polynomials of many variables with many different roots and uh, very chaotic. So nonlinear uh, systems are systems like weather, uh, movement, growth, 
or change. It's difficult to predict the outcome of the future state of a nonlinear system because the variables are interacting and changing constantly in response to each other. And that's what we call deep learning is trying to, uh, instead of trying to figure out which variables are interacting or highly correlated, we uh, just throw it into the deep learning system and it determines what features are important. Uh, most of the world is made up of nonlinear systems. A predictable attractor is an end state into which a system settles. So um, that's a stable point. That's called a predictable attractor. But if it never settles, it's called a strange attractor because the variables are changing chaotically. At least we don't understand how they're interacting. For example, in a tornado, it's changing, all the particles are changing, but yet it's maintaining some sort of strange attractor where things are predictable. So a chaotic system that never settles into a predictable or steady state is said to have be a strange attractor. So it still has some behavior that is recognizable, but it never settles into that steady state or predictable pattern. Um, no external container or funnel gives a tornado its unique form. The strange attractor coalesces the energy and creates the system boundaries, which at the same time allow dynamic activity within its boundaries. So again, there is some sort of boundary that exists. There is some sort of containment, but we, we can see the boundaries. We can see the dynamic activity but it is not in a uh, stable or predictable state. So strange attractors have unique shape and form. A nonlinear, and so in business that might be that way too, things, uh, as things are starting to change, we can see that there are some boundaries and forms. <clears throat> Maybe interest rates are our boundary and form. But we can, can actually predict maybe in a steady state, the buying behaviors of the consumer, but we do know that as interest rates uh, raise, that there will be some containment there. Complex adaptive systems are characterized as not non-knowing the initial conditions at any point in time, and their existence depends on a steady flow of information, constant process changing, and incorporating new information. Complex adaptive systems sit on the boundaries of chaos and order. And that's why IoT is going to become big. Um, so if uh, AI and ML is the $17 trillion business opportunity, IoT is going to be equally as big because the chaotic systems um, are, are going to be tried to be monitored by the AI ML and they are going to need, require a constant feed of information in order for uh, the, the machine learning AI to set boundaries or define boundaries that can be visualized and understood and generalized enough to be useful in business. 